0: on this truth, this quote from A.W. Tozer. I don't know if you remember this quote, but the the series we're in is Imagine God, and the quote was, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is not how much money you make, how many kids you have, or, or, or where you live, or what kind of car you drive. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you hear the word God. That's the most important thing about you. A a number of years ago, I had an opportunity to go uh, to a really formal black tie event. So I got a tuxedo, and I got in my tuxedo, and it was a, a Cancer Research Foundation fundraiser. And we went to this nice hotel, and it was this big gala, a lot of hoopla. And I remember having my tuxedo on, walking into the hotel, registering. And then there was a silent auction and these appetizers and this great event. And I needed to use the restroom, so I went uh, to, to the restroom, and it was this really long line. Uh, to get into the bathroom. I was kind of bummed by that. And as I was getting closer into the, the facilities, a gentleman struck up a conversation with me. And we were talking about, you know, cancer research and childhood cancer. And, and you may not know this, but you don't do a lot of talking in the men's bathroom. I don't, I don't know if just kind of this unwritten rule. You just, you just kind of go in and then you leave. But, but he was pretty excited, so, so he uh, had these questions. Then he asked me this question, you know, what do you do for a living? And I says, well, I'm a pastor. And usually when that happens, people typically don't say anything else because they don't really want to talk to a pastor. And I was kind of hoping that that would be the case in, in this situation. But, but he, he, this was his response. He even got louder in the bathroom. He said, really? You're a pastor? Unbelievable. I'm searching for God. He says, I've traveled the world. I've been to the, the in Thailand. I worshiped with Buddhist monks. Then I went to the Vatican in Rome. And, and then I went on a pilgrimage in the Holy Land. He says, Can you help me find God? I said, Can we talk a little later? <laughs> and and we did. And we had this great conversation about who God is and how we can have a relationship. With God. And as I was as I interacted with this man, I I came to realize that that really what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that God created us with a searching soul. That we were created by God to love and worship and obey Him. And that even in the men's bathroom, people are longing and searching for God. And that's why we're doing this series. Because what comes to your mind, when you think about God, it really is the most important thing about who you are and who you're becoming. And all of us are somewhere on a journey. We're somewhere on a spectrum. Some of us have an accurate, clear understanding of who God is. And some of us are kind of way over here. You know, like we're we're traveling the world and we're trying to figure out what does it mean to have a personal relationship with God. But none of us have arrived. None of us have figured out who God is and how to grow and how to understand. There's always more to learn. And the Bible describes God in a variety of different ways. You know, through history, through poems, through parables. And, and he describes himself in the scriptures through this fancy word that, we, that I shared last week called an anthropomorphism. And an anthropomorphism is simply a human characteristic that God uses to, to, to describe himself. And the Bible says God has ears, or eyes. He has hands. He's got arms. He's got a heart. He doesn't literally have all those things, but... It's helpful for us to get to know Him by understanding those. And last week, we talked about God's eyes. And some of you even mentioned that you put your sign up this week, saying that God's eyes range throughout the earth. That was the scripture passage that we, we talked about last week. We, we said that God has ears, but God has eyes, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully His. That's a verse worth memorizing. That's a perception of God that you want to have, that His eyes range throughout the earth. Not to harm you, not to punish you, but to strengthen the heart that's fully yielded to him. And and last week we held our signs. Yes, I want. But this week we want to move to God's ears. Because God hears everything all the time in one single act, but there's something that he is listening for. There's someone that he's listening for. And we're going to tie in last week and this week with this verse found in Psalm 34, 15, but then Peter quotes it in 1 Peter 3, 12. And this is going to be our our passage of Scripture, and then we're going to jump to a, a parable of Jesus. But this is the truth that we want to gather. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayers. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. And the first thing that we notice about God's ears is that they're attentive. His ears are attentive to their prayers. And and it's quite interesting because sometimes we think that God is not attentive to our prayers. that that maybe God's too busy or God's got other things to do. I remember distinctly I was in college studying for a big exam and we had a study group and and it was this major test that we we had and and one of the people in our group said, hey, maybe we should pray about this. And another person responded said, why would we want to do that? You know, God's got better things to do. Like, do you really think God's interested in our little test when he's got world hunger to solve? And, and he had this image, this perception of God as being too too busy. You know, he had other things to do. He doesn't need to hear our prayers. And that, and that he's got more important things to do. So why bother God with our little prayers, our silly prayers? And oftentimes when we think God is too busy for our prayers, that, that God has better things to do, we, we, we can sometimes wonder, well, then why pray? But the Bible teaches us that God's ears are attentive. He's not too busy. He doesn't have more important things to do. He's actually so attentive to your needs, to your prayers, that he even knows what you're thinking before you say a word. That's what Jesus taught us. When Jesus taught us about prayer, if you remember, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, your father knows what you need Even before you ask him, that's how God knows you. That's how attentive He is, which may lead you to conclude, "Well, then, why ask?" Right? If God already knows what I need, why do I ask Him? We'd save Him a little time, save me a little bit of time. You know, let's just just He's already going to provide. Why do we even need to ask? It's a good question. I don't have a simple answer. All I know that as a dad, I I sometimes can anticipate what my children want, even before they ask. And some of you are parents, you know that situation. Like, I can see the, the, the wheels spinning in their minds, and they'll, they'll say, hey, Dad, you know, can, you know, can I have some money? You know, that's the common one, but, you know, I, I can see it spinning. Or, Dad, can I have the keys, or can I get some running shoes? I know what their needs are, even before they're asked. Hey, Dad, can we have some ice cream? Can we go get some ice cream? And I, I love hearing my children's requests because I love meeting their needs. So I could give them a car or I could get their bank account full or I could stuff the refrigerator full of ice cream but there's something personal when my children ask for what they need and I think that's how God feels. That when we as his children ask for what we need there's something intimate, there's something personal, there's, there's, there's this special thing that happens and, and, and so what we read is that God is attentive. He knows what we need even before we ask and he delights in answering our prayers. He he sees the wheel spinning in our minds even before our prayers are spoken. He's attentive to our prayers. So just for fun, please grab your ear, okay? Can you do that with me? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Repeat after me, all right? God's ears are attentive. God's ears are attentive. That's the image that God gives us of his ears. But it doesn't stop there. God hears everything all the time, but some sounds pique his attention more than others. Some sounds grab his heart so quickly and they move him to a place of comfort. See, God's ears are attentive to the cries. That's what we read in Psalm 34, that God's ears are attentive to the cries because those are the sounds that grab his attention. Those are the sounds that move the heart of God. It's the cries. Now, I had not been a parent very long when I realized that one of the first goals of parenting is to get your child to sleep through the night. Anybody remember those days? Like, that was a very important thing to figure out. So, so my wife and I, we read books and we, we had a schedule and we gave our, our first son you know, a pacifier and we, we had this baby monitor that we put in his room so if there was a noise and he, he, he had a little cry, we were ready to go. And I can distinctly remember on some days when my son was sleeping in his crib and I was downstairs watching a football game or just working around the house and I could hear the slightest little whimper. I would drop what I would do, and I'd sprint up the stairs, and I'd put the little pacifier in his mouth, and I would hope that he would stay asleep. Now, since then, we've had three other kids, and I don't really practice that anymore. (laughs) But when that first kid cried, boom, I was right there, attentive to his whimper. That's how God is. He's right there. He's so close to you. In fact, that's what the scriptures teach us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. See, sometimes we wonder when we're going through a difficult time where is God when it hurts? And what the scriptures teach us, he's right there. He's attentive to your cries. Instantly, immediately, God is close to the brokenhearted, he's near to those who are crushed in spirit. God's ears are attentive to your cries. And for those of you that know God, those of you that have walked with God, you know that some of the most intimate moments with God are when you are feeling broken or crushed. I know that's how it's been for me. I can think of two distinct moments in my journey when I was feeling broken and crushed and I sensed God's presence and God's peace in almost a supernatural way. One of those times I was a young adult and my relationship with my parents was a little bit strained at times. And it kind of built up to the point where we weren't talking very often and it was, it was, it was difficult. And I was at, at a time of, of confusion and I remember staying up like into the night just just sort of praying. And, it, and almost like the, the dam of my heart broke and I just started to cry about the brokenness in my relationship, particularly with my dad. And I just cried and I cried and I cried. And then I just sensed God. I opened up his word, and I found some comforting scriptures about how parents in Hebrews, they know they do the best that they can, but now God's your dad, and he's going to take care of you, and he comforted me. In the midst of my brokenness, as a parent, my, my oldest daughter went through chemotherapy as, uh, as a, can't, she had cancer, and uh, I, I can remember distinctly, you know, journaling and, and writing and, and feeling the weight of her pain and crying. And God, come! You know those of you that have walked, you know that that's who He is. His ears are attentive to your cries. He's close to the brokenhearted. And even as a pastor, I've walked with people that have gone through obviously difficult things. And 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 some are small, or some are like big, like you, you've lost a loved one, and you know that you need God, and He's He's there. And some are are just sort of routine transitions. Like just the other day, I was talking with a buddy and. His son's moving off to college and he just says I'm, I'm sad. And he cried over the phone. He says it's good to cry. You know we're created to cry. And God's close to us when we get out what's going on inside. Because his ears are attentive to the cry. So you got to grab your ear one more time and repeat after me. God's ears, God's ears. are attentive. To the cries. That's what we learn. God's ears are attentive to the cries, but there's someone that he's listening for. He's attentive to the cries. He's always hearing everything all the time, but he's attentive. That's what he's listening for, the cries. But there's someone, anyone want to guess who that someone might be that God is listening for? God's ears are attentive to the cries of the righteous. You guys are paying attention. The righteous, that's what the scriptures teach us. That God's ears are attentive to the cries of the righteous. That there are some sounds that pique his attention, the cries. And there are some people that pique his attention, the righteous. And oftentimes when we hear the word righteous, we think about the morally pure, the upright. They follow the Ten Commandments. They do good deeds. They give to the poor. They don't drink, smoke, or chew or date girls that do. Maybe you know some of those people, but that's what we think about. Right, we think about these are the type of people. If and we think if we do the right things, if we're morally pure, if we follow the Ten Commandments, if we read the Bible, go to church, and give to the poor, then God will hear and answer our prayers. But is that really how God works? Is that what it means to be righteous, to avoid bad things? Are God's ears attentive to the prayers of the morally pure and upright, those who obey the commandments, or is he listening for somebody else? See, Jesus tells this familiar parable about what it means to be righteous, what it looks like to have a right relationship with God. It's a story about two men who go to the temple to pray. And, And this is what happens, the two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. And Jesus is, is telling this parable, this story, to help people understand what it means to be righteous. And so he says these two, two men go up. One's a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers or adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. And one might think that this good man that's doing all the right things has a right relationship with God. I mean, he goes to the temple, he attends worship, he gives generously, he even fasts twice a week. I mean, when was the last time you fasted? Right? When was the last time you gave your resources, 10% of your income to the Lord? See, by all external standards, this man was living a righteous life. And one would expect... God to be attentive to his prayers, but God is not. God does not hear his prayers. He's not attentive to his cries, but a tax collector, remember the tax collectors, those are the ones that are taking the money, keeping some for themselves and giving it to the enemy. They are the the lowest of the lows. By all external standards, they're living an unrighteous life. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. The man that had a right relationship with God was this tax collector. He was justified before God. He was in a relationship with God. He had been adopted into the family of God. And God heard his prayer. God's ears were attentive to his cry. And the question is, why? How can this unclean tax collector have access to God while this morally pure, upright man does not? How can the bad guys get in while the good guys are out? Well, the answer is in his prayer. Did you hear his prayer? Let's listen to it. The Pharisees stood up while the tax collector stood at distance. The Pharisees stood up in the temple while the tax collector was was at a distance the Pharisee prayed about himself look at all these good things I'm doing and the tax collector prayed this prayer God have mercy on me a sinner God have mercy on me God he didn't pray God Look at all these wonderful things that I've done for you. I fast and I give and I deserve your goodness. Nor did this tax collector say, God, give me a break. I'm doing the best that I can. Everyone makes mistakes. He prayed, God, have mercy on me. I did a little research on this word mercy because it's, it's so important as we understand how to interact and build a relationship with God. There are two words in Greek that we translate into English as mercy. So we're going to do a little deeper dive on this, so stay with me. The the, the first word is Elias. The second word is Helaskomai. Let me hear you say Elias. Elias. And then say Helaskomai. Helaskomai. See, Elias means compassion, empathy, or kindness. Kindness. When, when the, the blind beggar was asking Jesus to, to let him see, he said, have mercy on me, be kind to me, have compassion on me. But the second word, and all the Jews would have known the difference when, when Jesus was explaining this, this parable, this story, the second word is haloskomai, and that means propitiation. Payment for penalty or atonement. And Helascomi is only found in one other place in the New Testament. And it refers to the Helisterion, or the mercy seat, on top of the Ark of the Covenant. So we've got to go back a little bit and understand that In the Old Testament, people would go into the temple. This temple was this large space, and there was the outer court where the Gentiles would go. There's the inner court where the the priests and the the Jews would go. And in this this larger white building in the the center there is the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant is the Ten Commandments. It's the standards of God. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant is the, the mercy seat. And, and so only one time a year was one person able to enter into the Holy of Holies and only enter into the Holy of Holies on one day to do one thing, and that is make propitiation. That is to sprinkle blood over the mercy seat to atone or haloscomai for the people's sins. Because Old Testament worshipers knew that God is holy, that God is perfect, and that we are not. And that there are consequences for our sins. There's death, eternal separation from God. And the high priest would kill a lamb and sprinkle blood over the helisterion to atone or make payment for the sins of the people. And the tax collector prayed, Halascomai. He didn't pray Elias. He didn't say, God, give me a break. Give me a second chance. Everybody makes mistakes. He prayed, God, I need a sacrifice, I need a hero. I need someone to stand in my place, someone to die in my place for my sins. Because I'm a sinner. I deserve wrath. I need someone to take the punishment for my sin. I need halaskomai. And that's the prayer that God hears. That's the prayer that God answers because the only place where halascomai is found in the new testament other than in this passage is in hebrews and in hebrews we read this for this reason he had to be made this is jesus the faithful high priest in service of god and that he might make atonement halascomai for the sins of the people jesus is the faithful high priest who entered into the holy of holies not with a lamb but with himself with his own blood to die in our place and atone for our sins. And the tax collector prayed, oh my, I don't need a second chance. I, I, I don't need kind words. I need someone to take my place. I know the weight of my sin. I, I know that I need someone to bear the consequences of my sin. I need God to pay the penalty for my sins. See, according to Jesus... God does not hear the prayers of the self-righteous, the do-gooders, and the law-keepers, nor does God hear the prayers of the unrighteous, the tax collectors, or the do-batters. God hears the prayers of the humble and the broken. Because Jesus said, For all those who adult themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be be exalted see all too often we can relate to God like this Pharisee did we can imagine God as a judge or as a boss and that if we do the right things if we perform the right way that God will like us and that if we're better than others Right, If we perform better than those tax collectors and those sinners, then God will hear our prayers and God will answer our prayers. And all too often, we subtly fall into this comparison trap. This comparison, you know, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You know, at least I show up for worship. Or at least I, I give to the church and I'm not as bad as those alcoholics or at least I'm not divorced or at least I'm not a Democrat you know at least at least I'm not some liberal at least I'm better than that and we fall into this trap this this is real this is our hearts we're more like this Pharisee than we like to admit it's present all around us, particularly those that like to come to church. We think that we're better than others because of our performance. I know sometimes I do. My parents own a condo at a resort town in Wisconsin called Door County. It's a community. And, and we go up there periodically to um we go up there periodically to vacation, and my 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 mother and father are gracious to let the whole family um, stay there. It's just a two-bedroom condo and and uh, a while we do this periodically but a while back my family was there and and it was at one of those times I have two brothers and a sister and my my mother is kinda of particular about her belongings and her space and so she likes things a certain way and she makes lists of things that the way they're supposed to be and not be. In fact when you walk into the condo sometimes she'll have plastic over the couch and and she's, she's particular and, and so we, we go there periodically, and my family sort of share the condo, and there are certain things that you need to do when you enter in, like with the hot water, and then certain things that you need to do when you leave. You know, you got to turn off the hot water, you got to clean the kitchen, you got to make sure the, the cups weren't in the dishwasher, because they can only be washed by hand, and, and then you, you got to vacuum and dust and put things away, and there's, there's this long list that, that she has. And... I remember um, we were there for our little family vacation, and then my family left early, and I stayed for a little study retreat, and I was studying the scriptures, and it was time for me to leave, and I looked at my mother's list, and I started checking it off, and I started doing the things on her list. I put the dishes away, I turned off the water, I vacuumed, and, and I remember that I was, as I was, as I was vacuuming, this little thought came into my mind, at least I'm better than my brother. I said, I know how that guy is super dirty. And I'm going I'm to clean this condo better than my brother. And there was that comparison inside of me as I relate to my mother. At least I am better than my brother. And I'm a pastor. right? That's inside of me. Imagine what's inside of you. <laughs> Because it's inside all of us. It's that self-righteous, subtle way of saying, I'm better than you. Or I'm more important than you. Or at least I can clean better than you. And it's gross. It's disgusting. And it prevents us from community. And it prevents us from relating to God. It hinders our relationship with God. And maybe we need to do what this Pharisee failed to do. Because the Pharisee was doing a lot of good things. He didn't need to repent for the way that he was showing up for worship or how he was giving his money. But you know what he didn't? You know what he needed to repent for? The good things he did with the wrong motives. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to drop to our knees and beg for mercy the ways that we try to puff ourselves up or make ourselves look right before God maybe we need to pray have mercy on me I I need a substitute I need a payment I need someone to take my place Left to myself, I'm dead, I'm gone. There's no good inside of me. God, forgive me for my bad deeds. Those are obvious. But also forgive me for the good deeds that I did with the wrong motives to make myself look good, look better than somebody else. God, do a cleansing work. Because I need not someone just to give me a second chance. I need someone to take my place. To die in my place so that I might live. One of my greatest joys is to mentor young men and women, but particularly young men. And there are a number of young men that I've been able to invest in. And, and one, I had a conversation with this, this last week. He happens to be a professional football player. His name is Jake Winnikey, and he's played uh, in the NFL for a short stint, but he's in the Canadian Football League now. And we had a chance to talk uh, this last week, and it was a great conversation. And he, he says, Pastor Chad, can you pray for me about my prayer life? He says, you know, I, I've kind of been convicted that there are there are good things, that there are important things that we can do, and there are important things that are urgent that we need to do, and prayer is one of those things for me, but I can't always create space for it. And, and then he went on to say in a, in a different conversation that I'm being evaluated on my performance by thousands of people all the time. How fast I run, how high I jump, how many... Catches I make with the football. How many touchdowns that I get? And I feel like I let people down. And I'm always being evaluated by my performance. And I, and I, and I need to, 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 to take some... So he felt convicted to take some time. He says, but Pastor Chad, I just want you to know. When I, when I do get up, and he has been getting up, he says, my wife and I, we get up early now. And we spend 30 minutes a day just in prayer. And he says, Pastor Chad, I just got to let you know, I... I need it. I need to be with Jesus. I need to recenter my identity. I need to recenter my life on the life, death, resurrection, the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. Because all too often in my professional life and even in my spiritual life, it's based on my performance, how good I am on the field, or how good I do in these spiritual activities. And what I need to do is just soak in the truth. That I'm loved, that I'm accepted, I need to come to that place where I pray, Halaska, my God, have mercy on me. You're my substitute. You died in my place. You gave me new life. He says, that's where I go. That's what I do. And that's where I get refreshed. See, my friend Jake is, God is hearing his prayers. Because his righteousness is not based on his performance. His righteousness is based on the performance of, of Jesus. And that's what it says in Hebrews, that we can enter into the throne room of grace with boldness. Not because of our behavior, but because of Christ's behavior. And he gets it, and we get that. But the opportunity this morning is to take a moment just to think about maybe where you're at. And maybe how you have fallen into that comparison trap. And just say, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me, not for my bad deeds, though there are much, but many. For- forgive me for my good deeds done with wrong motives. Cleanse my heart and make me whole. As the band comes up, I want to lead you in prayer. And they're going to they're play a song, and the song's going to sort of lead you into a time where you can reflect on maybe how God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to you, and maybe there are sins that you can repent of in order to enter into a worshipful time. The ushers will also come down and, and receive the offering, but just just be still just for a few minutes as you hear the music and as the plate is being passed, just to open your heart to the possibility of the reality that you might need to pray the same prayer that, that the Pharisee pray, failed to pray. Halaskamai. Because God's ears are attentive to the cries of the righteous. And the righteousness is not based on your behavior, but on the behavior of Jesus Christ, who died in your place to make a way for you to enter into the throne room of grace with boldness. So God, we thank you for this truth and the truth of who you are and the joy that it is to know you. And we're struck by these scriptures and this word halaskomai. And we all confess our own tendency towards self-righteousness, our own tendency to think that if we do good, if we say the right words, then you'll hear our prayers and that you'll like us. Forgive us, cleanse us. Because we receive the savior we receive the the perfect sacrifice and maybe that's you and and maybe this is a moment where you can just once again receive the the sacrifice that Christ made on your behalf or maybe for the first time you can turn away from your own self-righteousness or your own bad behavior and just accept the fact that you're accepted. Not because of what you have done or failed to do, but because of what Christ has done for you. And maybe your prayer this morning can be halaskomai. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Thank you, Jesus, for this moment. We ask that you would receive these gifts that we give to you in response to all that you have given to us. And we just ask that you would continue to meet with us in this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.